This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. One of the best Sundays in years as far as top-heavy matchups is in the books. Josh Dobbs is an overnight folk hero. C.J. Stroud is one of the best young quarterbacks in football, one of the best, statistically, best rookie quarterbacks we've seen in a long time. We'll get to that. Um, Just wrapped up Bengals-Bills. We're going to go through the tiers of NFL teams with winning records, so we're going to get more into the weeds on these on these two teams, but just like early impressions, having just seen the final whistle. Number one is that getting T Higgins eight of nine, uh, eight, eight receptions on nine targets, 110 yards. Um, Tyler Boyd, 13.5 air yards uh, per throw, getting the tight ends involved, getting more of a, uh, I'd say universal offense two weeks ago. Jamar Chase and Christian McCaffrey were the only two players in the NFL who accounted for more than 30% of their team's yards per scrimmage, from scrimmage. Um, that should not be happening. The fact that Burrow was able to scramble, spread the ball around, get five guys out into a route and make quick decisions, like Joe Burrow is back. And I think we kept trying to talk ourselves into that, whether you're a Bengals fan or just a football fan or just somebody who – Let's say hypothetically pick the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. We used to keep saying, oh, this is like old Joe. This looks like old Joe. Joe Burrow is back when you see him spread the ball around like that. Um, on the Bills side, not panic time, but not relaxing time. Um, last play of the game, biggest play of the year. Vaughn Miller can't make it happen. Josh Norman's on the field. These are roster problems. These are aging roster problems. You spent a lot of money on Von Miller. He couldn't make the play. But that's a a symptom of something so large, a lot larger than that particular play. Um, There's probably, knowing what I know about debate shows and the NFL news cycle, it's going to be a lot of heat on Sean McDermott, questions about how equipped he is to navigate not just his season. Like, they have the hardest – Mike Tirico and Collinsworth just alluded to it. They have the hardest schedule in football the rest of the way. Um, they play every good team there is to play this year. And I don't. we don't know what the Pagula family, what their appetite is for loyalty, for sticking an extra year with a guy who hasn't delivered maybe the, on the expectations um, of – of what a, a quarterback like Josh Allen, the skill guys they have, what that would, um, the expectations that that would that would lead to. Um, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. That we're on turtle waters with that. I'm just saying that that's going to be like Monday morning. We're going to talk about that. Um, so let's go through the tiers because you saw the difference in like a tier. However you want to describe it, you saw the difference between one and two and two and three today in a bunch of matchups. I want to start with the clearest difference between a tier one and a tier two or tier three team, and that's Eagles Cowboys. Um, I got a question from Diogi, listener Diogi, who said, is a play calling head coach overrated, just in general, um, because Diogi watches teams like the Eagles and they just play great situational football. They always manage the game well. They limit mistakes. That's it. And... I would push back on that. I don't think the play calling coach is overrated. I think what it is is that the play calling coach typically is more valuable because you can never lose them and you don't have to go through a bunch of offensive coordinators. You don't end up 
hate to say, like the Bills, and you go from Dable to Dorsey, it's a downgrade, and everybody's saying what the hell happened. So if you have a play-calling head coach, that's that's taken care of. But that's, that's an aside. Um, the question is basically just like, should you value competence over genius? Which is a great sort of philosophical debate to have in football. I'm more into just basic competence. But here's a couple things to know. The Eagles improved to 8-1 and one this season after beginning 8-1 and one in 2022. The last team to have that good of a record after nine games in consecutive seasons is the 06 Indianapolis Colts, which combined, by the way, competence with genius and the genius being Peyton Manning, not just on the media side, but on the football side too. One of the absolute brilliant quarterback who just understood offense better than basically him and Brady understood offense from a quarterback standpoint better than anybody in the history of football. Okay. Um, but that's the Eagles and they always make the right decision. You go into a facility, you go into Philadelphia would also put Kansas city in this would also put Pittsburgh in this. You go into these facilities and you understand why everything's always thought out. Everything's calm. Like these places, they're, they're like they're like workplaces. You you go and you have a beer with your buddy, and your buddy says, "Hey, my workplace is a disaster. Everybody's waiting around to get fired. My manager hasn't actually moved to moved to Jacksonville and didn't tell anybody. Haven't seen him in six months, but he's still getting a paycheck because corporate hasn't figured it out yet. That kind of stuff. You know what? Not a million miles away in some NFL facilities. When you're talking about just you, some places are competent at work and some places are not competent at work. The Eagles, you never hear stories like that. You never hear stories about my buddy who works for the Eagles. He works in a toxic workplace. And I've never heard that in my entire life. I've always said, you know what? That guy works for the Eagles. Uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders and he makes the right decision. And you hear that all the time in the NFL that these, these facilities, these teams, everybody's normal. Everything's well thought out. Everything's great. And then you say, oh, this team that went 2-14, and 2-15, yeah, that, that facility is a disaster and everybody's drunk all the time. Oops. Um, so that's not to say I, I, the Cowboys are actually in the middle there, but they have a lot of talent. Um, they made a bunch of mistakes. First and goal from the 60-yard line, 27 seconds left. False start, sack, incompletion, delay of game, completion, short of the goal line. And Mike McCarthy afterwards basically said, this is a game of inches. Surprise, surprise, there was a cliche. And that they need to get better at getting those inches. He would have full out Pacino on any given Sunday. And Jory Epstein was talking afterwards on Yahoo about basically how they realized this was a game, the Cowboys realized this was a game of details. But, and that they have to get better at those details. But I don't know how they do that. The details are a Mike McCarthy problem. It's an organizational problem. And the Cowboys, whether that's just the little things, whether that's Dak Prescott stepping out of bounds, uh, Schoonmaker being short, um, Terrence Steele allowing that sack. By the way, Tyler Smith, unbelievable performance, speaking of Cowboys offensive linemen. But the gap between the Eagles and the Cowboys is not just talent, although there is that. It's that the Cowboys are not the team that makes the right decision all the time. They're not the team that makes the right decision 
about who to sign to a one-year flyer deal or how to get Kevin Byard when nobody else is even making that call, how to get him for a, for a low-round pick for a guy that everybody loves, even though he had a kind of a costly penalty today. Um, he played well. So that's the biggest thing for me. Mike McCarthy, and I'm an idiot for picking them to win the NFC. I've already done, done a mea culpa. Um, Mike McCarthy is going to make end of game mistakes because that's who he is. It's like, you might, you might as well just let Mike McCarthy get in end of game scenarios and just leave him be like NBA teams, leaving a guy open to the three point line. We had a, I had a really good question from a listener and I'm going to find his name, but I I'm going to paraphrase it quickly, which is basically I wrote the Cowboys off. Should I, but but should Cowboys fans feel okay after today because they look like a really good team. They were obviously in it. They were more physical. Brad was his name, by the way. Um, and he also at the last line of Brad's email was, "Am I doomed?" Um, he's trying to cope. It's called coping, and it's okay to do that in an email here. At this is football. Um, but the question was, should Cowboys fans feel okay about this? And I think they can feel okay that they're going to make the playoffs and be fine, but I don't feel okay about them closing the gap on this on this Eagles team. Um, I, Dak Prescott played really well, had some great throws, but the problem is always going to be coaching and details. And the details thing, to me, does not get fixed this year. This is who they are. The Eagles, this is a great note via Greg Rosenthal, the Eagles are 24-3 and in Jalen Hurts' starts over the last two seasons. They win in so many different ways. And I saw a couple Eagles beat writers before the last, I want to say, two or three drives. A couple Eagles beat writers saying, where is this defensive line? Where is the Eagles' defensive line? Well, they were ready to win the game. They were closing. That's, that's what they do. Um, they come in waves. Hassan Reddick, seven pressures. Josh Sweat, obviously. Six pressures. Um, Sweat is now tied with Micah Parsons for the most pressures this season. Reddick ranks fifth. So everybody talks about Micah Parsons. We did it with Seth Walter this time last week. We're talking about how he's changing the game, all of this stuff. Defensive player of the year candidate behind Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, or maybe ahead of TJ Watt, depending on how you view it. But Josh Sweat has as many pressures this season. Um, and... I have not yet crowned the Eagles, something we talked about with Zach Berman on Friday's episode, but I'm getting there in the NFC because you mix the talent, you mix the quarterback play, which is I think is probably on the upswing. It was a little inconsistent, especially with the running earlier in the season, um, with this is, this is the organization. Um, they made their trade deadline moves. They didn't do anything after – Fired necessarily. Um, but how is going to continue to improve that roster? Um, even like last year, they signed like Endamic and Sue midway through the season just to get depth, just to get depth. And it doesn't, doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. And so like, there's some teams that will screw that up. Like all of a sudden you have Josh Norman playing for the bills in the most important play of the season, but they understand risk and all of that stuff in, in a way that the I saw when uh, when Thomas Dimitrov was on the show a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how he had to ask Howie to stop asking for second-round picks for everybody on the roster because he was so aggressive. I saw some Cowboys fans kind of throw some quotes out there that basically Jerry 
Jerry's not a particularly aggressive trader. He's not always looking for value. Well, the Eagles are, and that stuff shows up in games like today where it's details. So let's go through the tiers because that's what I actually promised. The Eagles, to me, obviously a tier one team. The only other tier one team is the Chiefs, who I'll get to. The Cowboys, to me, are on tier three. Now, this will kind of, I'll, I'll fill this in, and it'll make more sense as I go along. But I want to get back to tier one and the Chiefs and fill out why I feel the Chiefs are the only other team in tier one. So first of all, the Chiefs are the youngest defense in the NFL, and that gets lost in the fact that they're top five defense that Patrick Mahomes says are the best defense in the NFL. I don't believe that to be the case when you, and then we'll get to the Bills, or excuse me, the Browns who are on their own little defense-centric tier, uh, a little bit lower in the NFL. Um, they consistently play nine of their homegrown guys. They've saved money on that side. Um, and Mahomes has now played all that well. Shil Kapati has this. The Chiefs have played 103 games with Mahomes. Today ranked 101st in success rate among those 103 games. Uh, none of the Chiefs' nine games this season have been a top 50 game as far as success rate goes. Um, the Chiefs are not the Chiefs on the offensive side of the ball. And I understand the impulse to say he needs better receivers, needs better weapons, but the team-building triumph here is on the other side of the ball. The Dolphins coming into this game averaging 33.9 points a game, so 34 basically, 300 passing yards, 151 rushing yards. Against the Chiefs today, 14 points, 175 passing yards. Um, the Chiefs coming into this were sixth in defensive touchdowns allowed, and they they put a clamp on, on two in the Dolphins. Um, not only that, and I saw some people say this, like this was an average, it's not like they played out of their mind today. This is what they do every week. Because they had that turnover in the lateral that made it look so special, people were talking about it. And the fact that they were able, you know, the Chiefs kind of went, went quiet in the second half, so everybody's going to talk about it. But if you look at it, and I saw some of the Dolphins be artists say this, this was the, the worst Chiefs offensive performance in about two years. Um, and it didn't matter. Because on the other side of the ball, guess what was happening? The Dolphins' five punts in the first, round, first half were more than they've had in any game this season. And it was the first time when ESPN made this note, first time that Mike McDaniel did not score a point in his first six offensive drives. Um, so you think about Trent McDuffie, you think about these guys, Chris Jones, obviously, even though he had that penalty, um, is as good as there is in the NFL. And I'm not as pessimistic about the Chiefs receivers. Like, first of all, Kelsey's going to be fine, and Kelsey's going to be enough. Kelsey's been enough so often over the past five years. Like, the way he's able to find – it was really funny when Chris compared the Bengals guy to Travis Kelsey tonight. But what he was trying to say was that he thinks that guy can find holes in the zone. And essentially what Kelsey's superpower is, is adjusting his route. Either it's – I mean, they run a lot of option routes – but adjusting his route and almost basically playing basketball on grass with Mahomes, depending on what the shape of the defense is, and then they both understand where they're going. And that's a repeatable skill, and we're just going to see that. And, like, yeah, sure, you can work in 
Rice and some of these other guys. But, like, if the Chiefs actually have a top-five defense, Kelsey's enough in the playoffs. Kelsey plus some of these other guys, he'll they'll create some stars. It'll be fine. They don't need much. So, yeah, I'd love to see if I'm a Chiefs fan or just working for the Chiefs or whatever, I'd love to see a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball. But, like, hey, guess what they have instead? The youngest defense in the NFL and one of the best. Um, I'd much rather have that, not just for the season, but for the next five years. How important is that going to be? Whether or not they can bring Chris Jones back is kind of a separate issue. But, like, and by the way, when I say youngest, it's uh, snap-adjusted um, uh, age, which is basically how much – Young players are playing for you. And the Chiefs are, are, are youngest in the NFL in that metric. Um, which normally does not suggest talent. Uh, on the other side, or, or, or competence rather, uh, execution. On the other side, the youngest offense in the NFL is the Green Bay Packers. And until Sunday, they were not doing anything right. So the fact that the Chiefs have that on defense and are doing well is remarkable. And that to me is more important than... A temporary dip in the offense. If if the problem is Mahomes isn't right, I promise you by January that will be solved. I'd much rather have that problem. So that's tier one, two teams. Tier two, the Ravens, and I put the Ravens alone here, and then I became a wuss and I added the Niners back in despite their hiccups lately. First of all, the Ravens have the second best success rate defense in the next-gen stats era, which I believe is since 2017, at least 2017. Uh, Ben Solak, my buddy, uh, said they're allowing only a touchdown on 8.7 of opposing drives. Okay? Allowing a touchdown on only 8.7% of opposing drives. Um, Only one defense since 2000, which is as far back as Ben's data goes, at True Media, only one Defense has equaled that. That would be the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. The 2000 Baltimore Ravens. The best defense basically in the in my lifetime since I wasn't born for the 85 Bears. So that's what you're dealing with with the Ravens. And we, we've given a lot of credit to the Browns and we're going to get to them. By the way, they have the best. I said the Ravens have the second best success rate. Guess who has the best in, in the NGS era? It's the Browns. So we'll get to them. But the Ravens have a higher offensive ceiling. They have, they're doing it in more maybe creative ways because they don't have a Miles Garrett. Um, and because Todd Munkin is a new OC, things will probably only get better. And Odo Beckham had that fumble on Sunday, but I'm, I'm extremely extremely optimistic about the future of this Ravens team. I said a couple weeks ago, we could be looking at the Lamar MVP season again. And I'm looking around and I'm not seeing many folks who are equal to the task. So that's important to note. Um, I put the Niners in there just because, again, I'm a coward. Kyle Shanahan is a very good coach. The highs have been extremely high. I'm not going to be a prisoner of the moment and knock them down. So tier three, this is the one the Cowboys are in is crowded. And by the way, I'm only doing tiers for winning records. I'm not going to go down and do the Raiders. Bills, Dolphins. Now, I already told you my problems with the Bills. They're still here. They need to win games or else they're not going to make the damn playoffs. It's not the NFC. The Dolphins are now averaging 
17 points per game versus teams with winning records, and they're 0-3 in those games. They're 6-0 with a 39-point-per-game average versus teams either 500 or with losing records. And I saw a lot of fraud claims on Sunday. Oh, the Dolphins are frauds. I don't think they're frauds unless you were going to put them on Tier 1, which I wouldn't have done any week outside of that after they beat Denver. They had the best offense in football, which qualified them as one of the best teams in football back then. Things have slowed down, but they're still a pretty high floor. I'm of the opinion that beating crappy teams is a skill, and I'd much rather that than struggling against everybody. And this has been such a week-to-week year in a league that's always week-to-week. When you consider, you know, like, just look at the the Chiefs and the Dolphins' performance against the Broncos and how different those performances were, right? Like, common opponents don't matter. None of this stuff matters. Like, it's it's just been such a strange season. Um, The fact that the Dolphins were able to knock the crap out of really bad teams consistently will get them in the playoffs. And it will get them better as a franchise. And it's been, let's not lose sight of the fact that the Tua's turnaround has been unbelievable. Um, that they're only getting better. They're in year two of, of the Mike Patino era, which is going to be a success and already has been a success. So like, there are worse fates in the world than being like branded a fraud by Twitter. I'm okay with that. Um, if they go one and done, yeah, that. That stinks for them. Um, but I wasn't ready to, to, to crown them anyway. So I don't think... And also, by the way, like teams have to learn to win. Not everybody is the Eagles. Not every, I mean, look, at, look at the damn Cowboys. They've been trying to learn to win for a decade now. It just hasn't happened. Actually, let me scratch that. They've been trying to learn how to win since 1995. It hasn't happened yet. Like Some franchises get it. They reach the mountaintop. They figure it out. The Bills right now are struggling to do that. Um, the Chiefs did not struggle to do that when they got in the Mahomes era. So... Let's just see how this evolves. I'm not making any declarations of the Dolphins. I am putting them on tier three. I'm going to throw the Lions and the Cowboys here. I already mentioned the Cowboys are here. Uh, Seahawks had a total clunker today, like a total clunker. Um, I got a bunch of stats on that, and I'm just not going to share any of them. They played an awful game today. Um, And then the Jaguars I'm throwing on here as well, just because they're six and two. Um, not, Not an incredible resume, but enough wins to where... I'm throwing them in here on on Tier 3 above some of the other teams I feel good about. Tier 4 is the defense strikes back tier. And I I, I made this mid-game, and I put the Bengals on this tier to not be, again, not be a prisoner of the moment. Because this defense is so good it can win a Super Bowl. And Joe Burrow being back, I know this sounds crazy, is a bonus. And if they're the team we saw tonight again, like literally one more time, I'm knocking them up two tiers to tier two. But I just didn't want to, after Sunday Night Football, emotions are running high. I don't want to start messing with the tiers and saying, oh, we're going to move them up here. I mean, I guess actually, you know what? If the Bills are on tier three, I, I'm, I'm calling an audible. I'm moving them up to tier three. Okay. Sorry. The Bengals and the Bills are on the same tier. Um, and damn, I'm real close to putting it up to tier two, but we, we need to see one more week. Um, so 
the reason this entire tier exists is the Jets and the Browns. Because I did a whole monologue a couple weeks ago on how good these teams can be just through defense. When you consider the success um, they've had, all, all defenses have had against quarterbacks this year, yards per completion, lower than ever has been. Uh, completion percentage down, touchdowns are down, all of this stuff, but the Browns and the Jets are waiting in the way. Um, this via Chase Stewart I found interesting about the Browns. In the last 20 years, there have been four teams that have allowed three or fewer points in three of their first nine games. 2012 Niners, 2017 Panthers, 2019 Patriots, 2023 Browns. They're just dominating teams. They're just really dominating teams. And I know that, like, the Cardinals are probably actively tanking, but they, the Cardinals had success against other defenses. They beat the damn Cowboys. Not to make the Cowboys the punching bag of this episode, but, like, that's just that that's just a, a data point. Um, and the Jets, they play tomorrow night. But, like, I saw a lot of optimism they could not only make the playoffs from the beat riders, but win the division with the way the division's going. I still think that's the Dolphins to lose. but I don't know. AFC, nice little floor. The only problem is they're at the mercy. I mean, like Zach Wilson is legitimately terrible. Legitimately terrible. Um, so defensive touchdowns, special teams, 12 to 10 type of games. Really hard to win those consistently, but you can win them. You can win them. So they're here. Tier four. Bengals moved up to tier three because they beat the Bills. I understood mid-episode the inconsistency of uh, having the Bills in a higher tier. So moving the Bengals up. Um, tier five is just the Steelers division. Tier Steelers tier. Uh, and my one note is Mike Tomlin. But if you've seen any of these stats about scoring differential, how much they're leading in games, um, CJ Stroud has more touchdowns than Kenny Pickett in their career. Um, this should not be happening, but guess what? It should never be happening. And it always is. And it always is. And it always will be. The Steelers are going to make the playoffs. Um, and then tier six is called the I don't know what's going on tier. And that's the Vikings and the Saints. Um, I got a question about Josh Jobs, so I'm going to save that. And then the Saints, I don't even... I don't even want to address. We actually got a question about the Saints. I'm not, I'm not going to answer, but it was basically just like, would any quarterback who wasn't an undrafted free agent out of Shepherd University have beaten the Saints today? And I don't know. I listen. The Saints again. The Saints win games they shouldn't. They're like they're. They, if you look at like the winning percentage over the last decade, even without Drew Brees, it's surprisingly high. Um, so there's something there. Um, they are going to be the team without the Falcons were going to be, which was the team that's going to eat on a crappy division and a crappy schedule. Um, the Falcons look like they're not going to get there because they're losing to Josh Jobs, which we'll get to. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code Omaha full and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only 
Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code BET. Amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Um, that is it for the tiers for now. Let's get to the questions, Flynn. We're going to start with Russell, who asks, if you had one drive to win the game, who do you choose, Tommy DeVito or Nathan Peterman? So Nathan Peterman had the worst performance in the history of modern quarterbacking against the Chargers with the Bills a couple of years ago. Tommy DeVito can't throw the ball forward. The answer is Peterman, only because I've seen the highs of Peterman. What I mean by that is he torched Clemson his senior year. He had a couple of other, like, not big games, but at least productive games. The Clemson game was unbelievable. That was like five touchdowns, 400-something yards. But he had some other big games. Tommy DeVito didn't even put up numbers against, up against Power 5 teams when he was in college. I don't understand any of this stuff. I don't know if they saw something on tape. They like his makeup. He's he's tough as hell. They felt they needed toughness in the quarterback room. I don't know. I'm, I'm literally making up reasons you would you would do it. Look at his game log. It's awful. So it is Peterman. Well, Peterman is hanging on the league still. DeVito will not be doing that in six years. So uh, it's, it's Peterman in a route. Next up, we're going to hear from Alan, who asks, would you rather have either Caleb Williams or Drake May or C.J. Stroud? This is an amazing question. I actually almost put it to the people on Twitter, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to uh, burn it. And I wanted to hear because this is, this is good discourse. So we're going to have Jordan Reed on the show next week. Um, and we're going to go through draft quarterbacking. The reason this is now a debate is because Stroud is legitimately incredible um, for I mean, just the evals, and I, I already went did the whole S2 testing rant and all that stuff, but Stroud is the sixth player in NFL history to record 450 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, and zero interceptions in a game, okay? Not rookie, player. Um, the throw, the game-winning throw was great, but before that, on that same drive, he had this throw to Tank Dell, six DBs in the field. He just found the bucket, man. He just found a bucket throw. Uh, found the gap in the, in the DBs between the safeties and the cornerbacks. 
he's unbelievable. And I don't think that like Caleb Williams lost again on Saturday. That's that's more the fault of Alex Grinch, the outgoing DC at USC. He's already been fired as of tonight. Uh, that was more his fault. But he hasn't played. He hasn't shown me anything I didn't know about him, if that makes sense. Um, he is not changing. Like his stock has not changed my mind. I'm not watching him saying, let's trade 10 first round picks for him like I am Victor Wembayama. Okay, Wemby. Um, and Drake May has been fine. Drake May played against Miami a couple weeks ago. I watched him like a hawk, 17-33. to Tez Walker bailed him out a couple times in that game. Um, fine. He was fine. Both these guys, as I've talked about before, Tyboa Jordan Reed take a while to throw the ball, but that's that's college quarterbacks now. Um, so Stroud has come onto this scene, and I think we can make a couple declarations. I don't want to make any declarations about Bryce Young's future. Um, we have a question about that in a second, but I do want to make the declaration that CJ Stroud is probably the best quarterback in the draft. <laughs> um, I got a couple of questions asking if if we should put Will Levis above Young, and I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on that. Let's 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 see a little more sample size here. Um, but I'd rather have Stroud. If you're asking me, so here's the question: the question is, the Cardinals get the first overall pick, and they offer the first overall pick, and again, the Cardinals and the Texans have been doing, doing business this year. Um, the Cardinals get their own first overall pick. And they offer it to the Texans for C.J. Stroud. Does Nick Casario hang up? I believe he hangs up. As of now, I believe he hangs up. Um, I think that the Texans getting a defensive anchor and a quarterback in that draft when everybody was doubting them was a masterclass. And I will uh, give Casario the benefit of the doubt. For a long time, I moderated a panel for Nick Casario at Sloan a couple years ago and uh, really enjoyed the experience, but I did not give him the benefit of the doubt in this particular issue, and I will for a long time now. All right, what's next, Sloan? Next up is Palm Tree P, who asks, is a full playbook Joshua Dobbs looking at a Geno Smith type of deal with Minnesota this offseason? No. Um, so two-part question about the Geno Smith thing. The, is he going to have like a Geno Smith style run? I don't. I think this was lightning in a bottle, um, and we'll see what happens with Jaron Hall and him coming back, and whether or not Dobbs will be the starter. Dobbs has a skill, man. He has a skill set. He can show up anywhere and just run anything. And it's funny because I remember years ago reading that Shane Battier said he could run any defensive system uh, or any team system at any moment. Um, that seems like Josh Dobbs could do that too. Although he was basically learning the plays in the huddle and on the sideline. He saw some of those tapes and he was saying, Hey, what's in the huddle he was saying, Hey, what's on this side? What's available to me with the route tree and stuff like that. He wins the game. Point of the day goes to Michael David Smith, the pro football talk who was basically like Arthur Smith <laughs> gets grilled about why he can't use anybody but Johnny Smith. Why he can't use B. John Robinson, Tyson Algier, like all these guys, right? He's using all these guys. Instead of the guys who were good, Bijan, Drake, Kyle Pitts. And Arthur's always got this kind of, his words, Michael's words were, were condescending attitude. Um, and then meanwhile, Josh Dobbs shows up 
and pokes a hole in everything Arthur Smith says about how complicated football is. No, you wouldn't understand that. Josh Dobbs showed up, had no idea what was going on, hadn't taken a practice rep. And Kevin O'Connor called it one of the most impressive things he's ever seen in his life as far as his ability to handle everything on the fly, understand what's going on. And I agree. And I think that we overcomplicate football. Football is a, is a simple game made complicated by coaches. And like Josh Dobbs was in the huddle using Wikipedia trying to figure out where he lived. And meanwhile, he was beating the Atlanta Falcons. A team, I, I think I picked them to win the division coming into the season. And the Vikings, I, I, after Kirk Cousins' injury last week, I said, there's no credible seven seed in the NFC. Well, there is. It's, it's this Vikings team that's going to do special stuff with some combination of, of Hall and Dobbs, a quarterback. Dobbs is the first player in history. Now, I don't even know who would be competing against. First player in NFL history to score three or more combined passing and rushing touchdowns in consecutive weeks with two different teams. And there's not a lot of quarterbacks that get traded in season to begin with, let alone start. You have the Josh Freemans of the world. Um, but man, this was this was special stuff. I don't think it's a start of like Josh Dobbs being a starter, you know, for a couple of years like Geno Smith, but God, he's valuable and he belongs in the NFL. All right, Flynn. Garrett wants to talk about the Panthers. What will Tepper's overreaction be this time? Yeah, so David Tepper is a bad owner. And I, I I went back and forth in this for a while because at first, like I, I, I could see myself if I was a billionaire talking getting talked into Matt Rule. You know, he's doing interesting stuff, and a lot of the recruiting guys really did say he was kind of innovative with how he took athletes and molded them into NFL prospects. So I, you know, I could see myself getting scammed by Matt Rule. Gave him a bunch of money, gave him a bunch of power. Sure. You can talk me into a big contract if I'm a billionaire. Um, but the Frank Reich hire seems uninspiring. And the Bryce Young pick, let's just like interrogate the decision. You went all in a year before, and this is something like we've talked about a bunch, right? If you don't have a quarterback, everybody in the facility is all upset. The owner is breathing down your neck. And, and I, I, I've quoted an anonymous GM before saying basically the problem with ownership is if you don't have a quarterback, the owner is always saying, where's the quarterback? And that leads to reckless decisions or the owner is taking over a decision, whatever, right? So you go all in with Bryce Young a year before a more quarterback-heavy draft. You give up a lot. The Bears are probably going to be picking 2-3. So conceivably, they could get Drake May and Marvin Harrison or any of these tackles or Brock Bowers if he gets healthy. All the guys we've, we've already gone over, and we'll go over with Jordan Reed later this week. Um, I mean, I'm not saying the Bears are going to – I don't think the Bears are one of these competent franchises that I was listing earlier. But – if they get two offensive superstars, I mean, that, that becomes Herschel Walker trade-esque. If you can lock in the cornerstones of your franchise with because a team panicked and traded for the first overall pick in a year that 
maybe number one wasn't a generational prospect. Um, it's a bad sign if you're that team, um, if you're the Panthers. So I don't know. So I, to answer your question, what would the overreaction be? I'm worried it's going to be firing the coach right now. Or I'm even more worried that it's going to be just like doing a bunch of crazy stuff that destabilizes the franchise, right? Um, and what I mean by that is look at Tua and his rise. So first of all, in this era, I think we can throw out everything. So I made a huge mistake a couple of years ago because statistically, Josh Allen should not have made the leap from year two to year three. Statistically, only Troy Aikman had made the leap from year two to year three. Most players make it from year one to year two. In this era, different offenses, different college offenses, different uh, practice rules in high school and college and in the pros, certainly. I'm throwing that all out because Trevor Lawrence is going at his own pace. Josh Allen went at his own pace. Tua looked completely lost until Mike McDaniel got there and unlocked it and believed in him. So don't give up on Bryce anytime soon. It's one of the reasons. I mean, I, I don't. It's one of the reasons if I'm if I'm a team, I would not give up on. I would take Justin Fields next year if they have to go if if in Chicago they go with Drake May. I would take Justin Fields on my roster to see how it goes. Don't give up on quarterbacks until you know for certain because they're just too valuable. Um, and and it, it, if you have certain skill sets like Fields, you should be excited about coaching him, and you should figure out what the floor is and get there. Because I don't think Justin Fields has been properly utilized as far as that goes, as far as the running stuff. I, I don't I don't want to do Justin Fields right now, but. What I think is you give Reich one more year and after this one, and if he cannot get there, you change coaches and make sure that Bryce Young is not being failed. Because I think the lesson of the Tua thing is different guys need different motivations, they need different offenses, they need different guys around them. Um, this Bryce Young thing, especially paired with how well C.J. Stroud is playing, could go south very, very, very quickly from a perception standpoint, from a media standpoint, from uh, people asking David Tepper at owners' meetings about whether or not he made the wrong pick. Um, the thing that always stands out to me is how long we spent saying, ooh, the original sin of the Dolphins franchise now is that they took Tua over Justin Herbert. Ooh, wow, I can't get that one back. All these columns written. I said that. I said that many times. But I'm comfortable saying it because you know who else said it? A hundred other media members. Oh, man. If only they had done that, things would be so different. Well, guess what? Four years later, the Dolphins made the right hire to unlock their guy. And the Chargers have done everything wrong since then. And now no one's saying, oh, if they'd only taken Justin Herbert. Now, maybe things would be different. Maybe in a vacuum, Herbert's a better quarterback. But guess what? The Dolphins are going to make the playoffs this year, and the Chargers are on the way to firing their coach. So just, just when there are lessons in football, just learn them. That's my advice. Just learn them. Uh, Flynn, anything else? We will finish with one more from Tom. You're stranded on a deserted island, and you can only choose one current NFL player to help you survive. Who is it? So I do this in the doc, and I actually didn't have an answer. I didn't think about it enough because there was just so much football. Um, I'm trying to think of of uh, of, of life skills. You're going to need 
Um, you know, like any of the military academy guys have probably learned a bunch of really interesting kind of survival techniques. You know, like a Navy guy. I'm sure, I think that Belichick still has a Navy long snapper there. Um, I was going to say any guys who live in the woods, but like Aaron Rodgers does the wood stuff and the darkness retreat, and I don't think he would be particularly valuable when it comes to comes to deserted islands. I would say some kind like I, I would bet on athleticism in the way that I would bet on athleticism in football just generally. So like DK Metcalf's going to figure it out. Miles Garrett's going to figure it out. I'm on a deserted island. Um, and you got to come get me. You got to find me. So you, you got to. So first of all, there's like, you know, logistical stuff. You probably have to get a boat of some sort. Um, a lot of swimming, a lot of like, you probably have to make fire at some point or maybe help me make fire. Um, these are all smart guys who can do a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with one of the, one of the Uber athletes of, of, of the NFL, Micah Parsons, any of those guys, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're going to just, just, I'm going to bet big on athleticism. Um, if there's anybody with like wild, like sort of outdoor skills. I'm all ears on that, but I'm going to, I'm going to bet on athleticism and go from there. Um, it's not a million miles away from like the, what would you do if you, if you had 11 of the same player over and over again, like George Kittle is always, you know, a, a team of George Kittles would probably beat a team of a bunch of other people in the NFL. Um, so I'm going to go with, go with the athletes, go with that genre. Um, and I think we, we would figure it out just like we would, uh, on the, fo- the football field. Um, all right, Flynn, thank you. Thank you to miles. We'll be back on Tuesday with another, uh, NFL star. They, they refuse to stop giving us NFL stars here on this is football. Um, uh, an athlete I have not interviewed at the NFL level. Um, I interviewed him when he was in college. Um, one of the best players in football. This will be really, really, really fun. As I said, we'll have Jordan Reed on, I believe Friday's episode or Thursday's episode. Whenever we put that out. Um, this has been, this is football. I'll see you Tuesday.